0: To Crimes from the East, I'm your host Pia, and with me are two very special people today. Of course, my beautiful and very, very amazing cousin, Alex. Hello, Alex.
1: Oh, that's the nicest intro you've ever given me. I think so. Yeah, it is,
0: isn't it? It's kind of (laughs) weird, really. And now I'm like, why did I say that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little bit suspicious to be honest. I don't know what you want from me or if I'm getting sacrificed this episode or what but like
0: I'll take it. I'll still take it. Okay okay. I have a very very special guest with us today. We're doing a collab with one of the hosts of I'd say like India's top Oh, True crime oh. podcast, like world famous kuni the crimes of India
2: podcast we have with us Sneha. Hi, Sneha. Oh my god, I'm blushing. Thank you so much for that in, you know, introduction. Like my face is all hot. <laughs> I'm like just, I'm making everyone uncomfortable today. I love it. <laughs> the ultimate fangirl, Pia. I swear, I don't call my listeners fans but i think with Pia, i can make an exception <laughs>
0: <laughs> i accept that honor
2: <laughs> absolutely as we say namaste namaskaram i hope everyone's doing great
0: <laughs> amazing we always hear that at the beginning of kuni so i'm i'm so thrilled we have it in crimes from the east <laughs> namaste yeah. namaskaram welcome everyone um so sneha you want to tell us a little bit about kuni Mostly for the listeners who haven't heard it mm-hmm. before, I'm sure all our Desi listeners already know about you. Give us a little intro.
2: Okay, so I'm Sneha. I'm from Kuni, the Crimes of India podcast, which I host with my really good friend from law school, Aditi. She's on a break right now, but she'll be back very soon. We cover crimes done in India, done by Indians, where Indians were affected. So in that sense you can say we're already like a global podcast because we do cover cases from different countries. So check us out and yeah we are everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow our socials and PR please please link them in our in the intro or something so that they know where to go. I absolutely
0: i'll be like the pipe piper and i'll be like <laughs> follow me let's go listen to cootie <laughs> um i i just want to mention like some of the best episodes that you have done were on charles sobrage oh the serpent i've got to say those episodes were so good and i wanted to know have you heard about his recent release yes. i want to know your thoughts
2: of course I have. I mean, <laughs> I have done so much research for those three episodes. I think I read three books. Like, I, I read the most absurd of books. I read a book that was written by a heart surgeon in Nepal who conducted a surgery on him when he was in prison. So like, I, I've gone to like depths that I'm very ashamed to admit, <laughs> just make those three episodes. <laughs> And it was, I think, very early on even for us. So till then, we'd had like a 40-minute episode or like a, you know, 35-minute episode. This is episode 4, 5 and 6 of our first season. And each episode is uh, around an hour long. And we are very grateful to have found the books that helped us. But also, it just, it was quite mad. And it was also very special for us because both of us like to travel and a lot of what he did sort of discouraged travel and you know it was all on the the route that the hippie route which people hippie used to road. take yeah the hippie trail yeah the hippie trail so and another really interesting thing for me is I actually saw the uh in Istanbul there is a cafe where you know like people used to put out notices saying okay I need a lift To say like Afghanistan or I need a lift to India. So, like, that was like a notice board kind of thing. It was pretty cool. So I did speak about all of this and it's really special. And obviously, when I did find out that you know he was released, and I knew he was going to be released because I was following news and he's not doing well. The one thing that struck me, I think what really made it real, was I saw this photo, someone one of our listeners sent it. He's in the flight. I presume he was pa- flying to Paris. He's actually in Paris right now, Alex. So...
1: Ooh, <laughs> <gotta> watch out. <laughs> Alex, we need you yeah, on the Alex. case. Pronto. <laughs> go find Charles. Let me get my um, magnifying glass and my pipe. I'll go do some real detective.
2: sobrage hunting. So... In the flight, he's sitting next to this woman and I was, and, and she's like, what the hell? Like the expression on her face. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> you're flying to Paris? Okay. <laughs> and then someone tells you, ma'am, the seat next to you is going to be so and so. Or like, you know, you don't even get that. You're just sitting. And then there's like a thousand police that come to make like one old man sit next to you and you're like, what the hell? MB <laughs> Just a murderer who's
0: maybe killed oh like more than a dozen people.
2: Nothing to yeah. worry
0: about. Or maybe ran a cult.
2: We don't know, but yeah.
0: I mean, going by today's uh, flight experiences, that's not very weird, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the kind of people that fly these
1: days. <laughs> I was just thinking that as long as he's not. Did you hear that story about yeah. the lady who was trying to breastfeed her yeah. cat yeah. on the airplane? That, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's like a while ago, but yeah, it's just to, to say that there's some crazy shit going down on these flights these days.
0: Yeah, what has happened to people? Like, why is everyone on a flight just so freaking stressed out? It's just a flight, and it's like security only keeps intensifying.
1: TSA, whatever. <laughs> and yet passengers just keep getting crazier. I saw some American um statistic about the uh number of handguns that were found in people's baggage recently. It was like a crazy a crazy number. So
0: everyone's just flying with guns now. This is yeah, what we're so, doing. Yeah, we're just going to take our gun on the plane. Pack In your minutes. gun and breastfeed your cat. This is
2: what we've come down to, people. Oh my ba- God. Or sit next to Charles Sobraj.
0: Or sit next to a mortar, mass murderer. Perfect. Instead of
1: economy plus, economy and whatever, economy basic. These
0: are your categories.
2: Cat, uncle, or Charles.
0: <laughs> I'm taking the train from now on. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, we've had a really fun chat so far, but things are going to take a turn because our case for today is actually a very serious one. And it's a tie-in to the collab episode we did with Sneha at Kuni. I want every listener to go listen to that episode. It is such an important case. It's the honor killing of Sita Kaur, who was a British national who was brought back to India. And then died under very mysterious circumstances and the body cremated um, against the wishes of her family. So there was no real justice in the end. And today we thought we'll do a case similar in nature, although not the same, but also um, an honor killing of sorts of someone who had by that time Australian national nationality and was brought back to Pakistan where she was murdered.
1: I just want to point out that there were quotation marks put around the honor killing because all of these killings are pretty
0: not honorable, dishonorable. That's a really good segue because I have named this episode Dishonorable Murder and that's what I call it because the killing has nothing honorable about it. And it's the murderer who is dishonorable, not the victim. So let's get settled in and prepare for our case today, which was suggested by a listener to me on Instagram. Thank you so much, Zez, for suggesting this case to me. It is a tough one involving domestic abuse, misogyny, and suppression of women in South Asian societies. We will see how despite having left the harsh conditions behind, the victim was lied to, and lured back into a nightmare that she couldn't escape from. And keeping these things in mind, I would advise discretion to our listeners if any of these topics cause you distress, just a trigger warning. The sources for today's case are so many, but I found that the articles from The Guardian, Hindustan Times, The Tribune from Pakistan, and even The Vice had a lot of good information, along with 7 News, Perth Today, and Australia News, which covered it from the Australian point of view. Today we talk about the brutal murder of 32-year-old Sajida Tasneem, an Australian woman of Pakistani origin who dared to fight for the future of her children and how a most dishonorable monster of a man killed her for it. Sajida Tasneem, who was bo- born in Sargoda, Pakistan, and like many of her peers, was keen to pursue a good education and a fulfilling career. Pakistan has a significant gender disparity when it comes to educating women. Now, this is common all over South Asia. Even in India, the numbers aren't so great, but it's especially bad in Pakistan. But Tasneem beat the odds. And with her sheer tenacity coupled with a curiosity to learn and grow, she graduated as a civil engineer from one of Pakistan's oldest and most prestigious schools called the NED University of Engineering and Technology in Karachi, Pakistan. She worked for a few years, even serving as an air traffic controller for the Civil Aviation Authority of Pakistan. I find that amazing. Like, she... i'm sure becoming a civil engineer was not easy and then working for the atc this is like quite an achievement at such a young
2: age yeah it's i doubt there are many women who work in the atc whether in india or in pakistan so this is something quite exceptional
1: and then not only like the job is uh challenging and complicated one so that's already impressive for anyone but working in a probably like super male environment is always added
0: bonus <laughs> badass points that kind of shows her independence and her strive for yeah. having a career and being independent yeah. I feel. but it wasn't for long because like soon after like in 2011 a year after she graduated her family arranged for her marriage with ayub ahmad um, who was supposedly also in a similar field, like kind of an engineer. I don't believe he was at the same level educationally as she was. But that doesn't really always matter.
2: As it's known to happen in, in our countries.
0: Mm. Yes, doesn't matter what the woman does or achieves. At the end of the day, a lot of these guys just want their wives to sit at home and do nothing. This is not everyone, I just wanted to mention, not everyone's like this, but the ones we talk about usually are. Hmm. So Tasneem and Ayub first lived in Saudi Arabia for a year after their marriage, and soon enough, they had a son there. In 2013, Tasneem was overjoyed at a job opportunity she received from a company in Perth, Australia. In South Asia, this is the ultimate dream to migrate to a developed country for better opportunities and a safer environment to raise a family. There is a love-hate relationship with the motherland because we love it for everything she has given us and we hate it for what we have done to her. So that cognitive dissonance, I'm sure, is in the mind of all immigrants and their families, like We love our motherland, but we want to get out of there a lot of times for different reasons. And especially for women, South Asia is a dangerous place. India ranks 148 out of 170 on the list of worst countries for women. Pakistan ranks 167. So that's like, oh, damn, it's right there at the bottom. Top four in the worst countries for women i wonder which ones are below i i don't even know it's probably
2: like
1: yeah Yeah, somalia
2: Somalia, i don't know yeah i don't want to just i don't want to like throw out names but yeah these are like some
1: right exactly (laughs) i don't want to throw any countries under the bus for all you know they
2: could be like right up there and we just like don't know about it so like you know yeah
0: the couple moved to a home in the Tuart Hill community in Perth, Australia, in 2013 with their infant son. Can
1: I just say one thing? Mm-hmm. Tuart? Tuart. It's spelled T-U-A-R-T, and I'm pretty sure what happened is that it's supposed to be the Stuart Hill community, and they just forgot, someone forgot the S, and they just covered it up as if it was all along supposed to just be Tuart.
2: Tuart, Tuart, Tuart. <laughs> Stuart. Twart, twart. <laughs> maybe maybe they had like a lisp, like tort.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we're just we're just going with it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's tail Over the next five years, Tasneem gave birth to two daughters in Australia. The youngest was just three years old. She had three young children. It is it of. is very
2: disturbing to see the similarities from the case we did. Uh, you know because there's all three kids under the age of 10 and it's almost following the same timelines if you see just like the women were both 32 year old Mm -hmm. 31 year olds arranged marriage they were technically they were very independent and you know driven you know before the marriage and they were both Mm -hmm. married to like men who looked like they're significantly less you know capable or mm-hmm. had less achievements or education mm. so the the similarities are like just you can't ignore them yeah
0: very blaring interesting it's almost like the same story the story repeats itself over and over again after a few years the family of five succeeded in obtaining the status of permanent residents in australia tasneem worked in social media management and digital marketing Even working for Amazon at a point, she described herself on LinkedIn as ambitious and passionate about contributing to a better world through creativity. You can still see her LinkedIn profile. It is still up and publicly viewable. So not that I really want to
1: give any more attention to, I assume, her husband, Ayub husband, I don't know. Um, but is he working? Is he the one like who brought them to It was her? Her, her. It's all on her, right?
0: No, it was her. He was the dependent Is he
1: working at all though, or is she supporting everything? So all
0: of these small details are not mentioned anywhere but from like other Facebook conversations that I've read, he didn't really have work for a while. Okay. And when yeah. he did, it was not at the same caliber as her. Okay, okay. okay. So she's really like the
2: backbone, the head
0: of the operation. Backbone. I'm sure she never, backbone. never felt yeah. that accomplishment at home. I'm sure he never let her feel that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would have just been like, "Oh, that's your responsibility. If I can't feed them, you know, I have to feed them. But if I can't, you have to. But you also have to like clean the house, cook for us, send them to school." Massage my feet, what
1: And not make me feel bad about you
0: making
2: yes. more money than yes. me.
0: Naktasneem was a very warm, friendly person. She was interested in good food and good times with her friends and family. She was one of the founders of an online group called Perth Foodies, which grew to thousands of members. So it's showing you someone who's like very active and like, reaching out and wanting to engage in a community. Now, this was an immensely popular group and Tasneem was active there, posting often and engaging in conversation with other South Asian women in Perth, especially other Pakistani immigrants who had a similar experience to her. You find find common ground, right? You find things to talk Mm -hmm. about, things to reminisce about and be excited about in your current situation. So she found that in the Perth foodies group. I couldn't find much about Tasneem as a person in news articles and so I looked for her social media handles and found her Facebook profile. So I got to know her a little bit by scrolling through years of her posts. Every post made me relate to her even more. Her Facebook profile paints a picture of a woman who cared about people. She was appalled at Trump's border detention centers and the horrific effects of the war in Syria. She was interested in poetry and also subtle humor clips like that of Kanan Gill's stand-up. Yeah. She was hopeful about positive changes in Pakistan's political landscape and often posted inspirational quotes and uplifting stories about good Samaritans. She shared many ideas for gentle parenting, admonishing harsh treatment of children, And she posted stoic quotes about being resilient in the face of adversity. Hmm. She was disappointed that a new Game of Thrones episode had been leaked. And she was excited to watch sci-fi thriller movies like Arrival, Moon, Nocturnal Animals, and Ex Machina. She was a Stanley Kubrick fan. A woman after my own heart.
1: Yeah, I would be friends with her.
0: Yeah, me too. For sure. Totally. And I hope all of these little bits about her help the listeners relate to Tasneem and realize that she wasn't that far removed from you and I. She was just like any one of us. A woman trying to navigate the urban world and finding balance between work, family, and traditions. She made many friends in the foodies group and even made close friends at her place of work she eventually confided in her close friends about her having differences with her husband, Ayub. They would fight often, especially over the way in which her children were being raised in Australia. He was always concerned that they weren't being raised in the traditional ways in which kids would be raised in Pakistan. She posted a link to a song by Australian pop star Sia, A song called Titanium. Perhaps trying to reassure herself that she is a tough cookie and she will persevere no matter what abuse and hardships are hurled at her. The Sneem was not one to back down or give up. I feel like her posts give you an idea of the things that may have been going on in the background that she's not talking Mm -hmm. about publicly. A lot of the quotes like, like, I will survive or I will make it or things like that it it, you don't always post those things unless you're going through a hard time yeah
2: yeah it's it's almost like uh, you know uh, what you are on social media even though you you do mostly like these days instagram is all about oh showing your best side or like showing that you are happy if you are not like facebook i think facebook and twitter at one point were like where people's authentic feelings used to come out cuz i mean if you do remember yeah. growing up it was just like yeah you would post like a sad song when you knew something was going on at home but you can't say it or you know like you're you're really not feeling that great and you just post something about it and that's how th- that's she's extremely relatable it's it's something that can happen to anyone
0: I think that's how uh, MySpace and Tumblr
2: used to be as well. I I was never part of that, but that's what that's the impression I have of it. Oh, Tumblr! I think was more direct. I was I was one of the earlier Tumblr kids, <laughs> so Tumblr was just like all of my emo side coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so that I felt like these
0: Facebook posts gave me a a better idea of who she was and what she was probably going through because the news articles don't really talk about any of that at all. In October of 2017, she posted on her Facebook page, verbal abuse and emotional abuse are just as bad as physical abuse because memories of abuse of any kind last forever. And from the comments in this thread, it appears that she was in Pakistan when she posted this. So uh, obviously she was living yeah. with her in-laws, maybe visiting them yeah. for a short time when she, when she posted this. Not a good sign.
1: That's just the most clear kind of cry for help sort of post, isn't it?
0: Yeah, like mm-hmm. saying a lot yeah. without saying yeah, it all. During the pandemic, Tasneem's husband lost his job and he started applying for jobs in the Middle East where he had worked before. Now, he got one in Bahrain, which he accepted immediately and moved there by himself, while Tasneem and their children continued to live in Australia since they were now going to school, Mm -hmm. right? You can't just uproot the kids uh, willy-nilly like that. Before moving to Bahrain, Tasneem's husband and in-laws started to insist that she and the children visit Pakistan to meet the grandparents. Now initially, Tasneem had been reluctant to make the visit. But when the daily pressure on her from Ayub increased, the fights became worse. She thought she would make a short visit to Pakistan just to appease him and then return to Australia before the school session started. And so Tasneem and her children traveled to Pakistan may be excited to meet the grandparents and experience the culture. But little did they know that they would be witness to perhaps the worst depths of depravity instead. And we hear of this just like in Sita Kaur's case. A lot of times women are lied to and taken back to a place where there's little law and order, little hope for justice. Yeah,
2: it's almost like, you know, that all of these have like a universal master plan they just want to like you know try it's just that most of the families at least in the cases we talk about the ones the two cases we've talked about it's almost like if a woman wants to be independent they take it as a personal offense and which is what is creating problems when all the time she's the one who's sort of holding the family together.
0: Days turned to weeks, and as the departure date got closer, Tasneem was getting restless, eager to get back to her home in Perth. In the absence of her husband, Tasneem had to live in the home of her in-laws, Mukhtar Ahmad and Fatima Bibi, and she had to deal with their antiquated traditions something that she had longed to get away from. They expected Tasneem to perform all the duties of a daughter-in-law, which, might I add, is a thankless and endless role for most South Asian women. She had to cook and clean and even press and massage their feet at the end of the day. Now, I find that a very symbolic request by them, an assertion of dominance and a conceited effort by them to show Tasneem her place in the family. She was seen by them as nothing more than a domestic servant, despite her academic excellence and professional experience.
2: This is just making me very uncomfortable because we've all seen it. We've all, I mean, I have seen it. I have seen it in India. I've seen it abroad. I have seen it in my family, like the distant I have seen it in other Telugu families and I'm not proud of it and it's just that nobody wants to stand up and it's almost like if a woman in, in India right now, if a woman in her say like 50s or like late 40s with say teenage or early 20s children wants to like, take a transfer or get a promotion at work, it's often frowned upon. Like, I have seen people where, you know, they said, okay, why does this woman have to go? Like, this happened in my own locality. This this part is just like, I have seen it in the last two, three months and it's just made me very uncomfortable. Because had had it been the man doing it at that age or even older, nobody would have said anything. And I just hate these double standards. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it used to be like back
0: in the day, I mean, like maybe a century or more ago like men used to leave their homes to go find work and they wouldn't return for years Mm -hmm. that was okay that was normal like one day suddenly he would come back with the you know they would send money home whenever Mm -hmm. they found work but it was okay for him to be away while the woman just takes care of everything home kids everything else going on all the politics at home taking care of the
2: in-laws and and so many times if a man is like stayed away for like more than say four years, five years, or like if, if especially men from South India who go to the Middle East, I have heard so many stories. Mm-hmm. This is like maybe because I worked as a lawyer, like my initial days, I used to go to court. Uh, so I heard so many cases in the family court where that man used to come back with a whole ass new family.
0: <gasps> Polygamy is illegal in India, right? Yes, yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're away. We might as well find someone else. You know, you take care of all the hard stuff. We'll just get married. Find a new.
2: Find a new housekeeper.
0: Housekeeper. Yeah. We really
1: need to figure out how to get men pregnant. It's high time. (laughs) Because like, if you had to actually bear the children that you seed all over the place, Mm -hmm. then maybe you wouldn't. Be so quick to get a second and a third family. Maybe. I don't know.
0: I know like domestic violence and oppression and suppression are not a Desi phenomenon. It happens all over the world in every culture, in every society. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, economic status means nothing really. Yeah. But, but it is prevalent in South Asia and it looks a little different from, I'd say, how it occurs in developed country here it's almost expected yeah here it's almost ingrained in most women that you are going to go through this it is your fate and it is normal this is life you will probably have a tough time with your in-laws they're gonna be a little overbearing and you're gonna have to just bear it this is life so it's kind of you're conditioned into that yeah or or if like
2: my husband beat me. Why? What did you do? Why did you give him the chance to beat you?
0: Absolutely. Victim blaming yeah. is, paramount. unfortunately, uh, part of the culture. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is part of the culture. So, Ayub and his parents believed that their kids would grow up as kafirs or infidels, straying away from their religion and Pakistani culture in Perth. And they thought that Pakistan would be the ideal place for their upbringing under the watchful eye of Mukhtar and Fatima. This is another situation
1: where I feel like if the father was the one who got the job in Perth and was the more qualified and the the major breadwinner they would be like yes and the children to Australia bring yes. us to Australia son like but since it's the wife mm-hmm. and the woman it's the it's oh better off in Pakistan
0: so on top of this, Ayub had moved to Bahrain, right? Mm-hmm. And he didn't trust his wife enough to be left alone in Perth. She was educated, well-spoken, and a beautiful woman. So allegedly, he feared that, that she would find another man while he was away. This is a classic projection of insecurities by a loser who knows that he is trash compared to his partner.
2: Yeah, because... She is, she good enough for him to get, like, I can't believe I'm saying the same things I said in the last episode. She's good enough for him to like, go to another country on her settlement, not on his. She's right. good enough to give him kids. Mm-hmm. She's good enough to earn money. She's good enough to feed him. But
0: not good enough to leave alone. Still no trust. Yeah. Almost like she, almost like she has no agency or just she's, you know. So gullible and so impressionable, so innocent that anyone would just influence her and take her away.
1: He's acting like he low-key kidnapped her, you know? It's like the same way you would treat your hostage As like, I want you for all of the things you can give me, but I don't trust you. And if you, I, I'm not going to give you even the remote option of getting away mm-hmm. from me because I know
0: that you shouldn't yeah. be here. Very, very sad situation. Now Tasneem had begged and pleaded with Ayub and Mukhtar to let her and the children return to Perth. Or even just to join Ayub in Bahrain, right? Like she knew her options were limited. She knew that they are of this mentality, this sick mentality that she's not to be trusted alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she was like, fine, I don't want to be alone in in Australia. Let me be with my husband in Bahrain, right? That is the right of a married woman to be with her husband. Not an unreasonable demand in my opinion. But no, they wouldn't even agree to that. She wanted to escape from her awful nightmare and protect her children from this repressive environment. But there was nothing she could do because her father-in-law, Mukhtar Ahmad, had confiscated all of their passports on the pretext of keeping the documents safe, which is another trap that I've seen yeah. many women fall into. Yes.
2: It's almost like it's almost like their are bonded labor. It's what happens to like workers who go from India to like in the Middle East where the employer keeps their passports. Yeah. It's literally that.
0: What do you do? You can't do anything. Tasneem must have felt so alone and so helpless. She did consult with her parents, but they couldn't fight the norms in Pakistani society. They humbly supported her, and her father Sher Muhammad Khan did visit her to meet with the children. Just like we see in Indian society, once the woman is married off, she is the property of the husband and his family. And her parents are considered helpless bystanders with little social currency to spend when it comes to raising their voice or making any demands for their daughter. While a lot of this is restricted to rural communities, there are varying shades of this dysfunctional practice seen in urban areas as well, as we see in Tasneem's case. She isn't some, you know, girl living out in a village. With no internet and no one to really watch over her or even hear her story. No. This is an urban area. She's a well-educated woman. She's an Australian national.
2: Actually, Pia, I mean, saying that it's mostly a rural phenomena is slightly not true anymore. Because even in like India these days, the rich women are just as trapped because... They will have the money, but they don't have access to it. Everything will be in her name, but she'll not have access to it. She will, like the husband keeps all the cards, the internet passwords, the documents, everything. In some cases, like uh, in the north, I've seen where even her jewelry, she has to keep. Like Julie, her parents gave her, she has to keep it in a safe where the husband knows the combination. So it's just, women pretty much, it's across social strata, like they can be trapped yeah. into a marriage. It's just what you see as them having a choice is just like a illusion of a choice. Like you might, you know, people looking at them and be like, oh, okay, look at this lady. She goes to kitty parties, she shops all the time. But why? She could be doing so much more. It's just that, This is what her husband or her husband's family is letting. And for the lack of a better word, and I feel horrible saying it, is what they're letting her do. Like, that's all the agency she has. Mm. They will flat out say no. uh, Because it it goes back to even looking at uh, matrimonial ads where they say, Oh, we want like a B-tech or an engineer girl with MBA from a good college to do what? To just sit at home and raise babies yeah so it's just all over like it's this phenomena is not urban or rural or like you know poor rich it's it's just everywhere yeah because the
0: mentality may have started from when we were a rural society but it still exists even though we feel like we're educated and we're more global and we're you know accepting of modern ideas but there are still some who hold on to this repressive crap despite all of that education not every situation of abuse and suppression is that obvious sometimes you're you're kind of like a um, prisoner in a golden cage it looks beautiful but yeah. you're trapped
2: and and it's like women are taught like you said it's just they're taught they're like Yeah, you have to listen to what they say. Okay, if he beats you, it's fine. Maybe next time he'll not beat you as hard. Or like maybe just listen to everything that he says. And it's just, you know, you condition women like that from like a really young age. And that's what women grow up to like sort of expect. And anyone who thinks uh, away from this is again looked at saying, Oh, look at this. She has thoughts. She must not be like a proper woman or like you know she what is wrong with her why is she thinking like this what did her parents teach her Mm. you know and that's
0: the thing the parents of the woman are just as helpless because of societal conditioning
1: that's what's kind of crazy too to me because it's like if even your own parents can't save you from the
0: situation then who can and that's where the societal pressure comes in. Because as an individual, you'd be like, I will protect my child no matter what. Like, I will murder anyone who harms my child.
2: Yeah, my boy child.
0: <laughs> but if in the entire society is pressed up against you in, in, in that sense, it's hard to fight that, right? Yeah, like, I sure. mean, it takes a little courage, a little guts. And I, I don't know if everyone is able to cross that line. And even with the Courage and
1: Guts, we saw that in the last episode, like you'll still maybe have the community run you out of town and make sure your daughter's cremated before you can even do anything.
2: Hey man, you were sleeping when I tried to wake you up. So I just took care of the cremation myself to destroy evidence. Yeah, sure. That's crazy. So on June 11th,
0: 2022... Sajida Tasneem's father visited her in Sargoda. Maybe she called him because of mounting abuse in her in-law's home? I'm not sure. It's not reported. But Sher Muhammad Khan claimed that his daughter had been arguing with her father-in-law about her plans to return to Australia when he attacked her. When he did reach the home in Sargoda at 1.45 p.m. He heard a lot of shouting and screams coming from the upper floor of the home. He rushed up and found Mukhtar Ahmad in a state of frenzy, hurling abuses and shouting at Tasneem, who was cowering in a corner in the bathroom with her children. The mother-in-law Fatima Bibi rushed in and dragged the howling children away from the room. Tasneem's father tried to intervene, but Mukhtar was wielding a huge axe and he threatened to kill everyone if Khan took another step. As a shocked father watched, Mukhtar Ahmad stuffed a cloth in Tasneem's mouth to muffle her screams and started to swing the axe menacingly above her head. And with one fatal blow, he brought it down on Tasneem, followed by many other blows, which served no other purpose but to express his rage at her request for freedom. It was all over in a matter of seconds. Sajida Tasneem was dead. (gasps) Murdered by a dishonorable, regressive monster with no soul and no humanity, a violent burden on this earth who extinguished a beautiful bright flame with an axe.
2: Jesus. She literally just wanted to go home.
0: Yeah, like what was so wrong in what she asked? I just want to go home. Let my children go home. Let them go to their school, be with their friends, get back to their lives, which is all they have known since they were born. And what she got in return was to be murdered. It's so violent, too. Like, it just seems like
2: such
1: an extreme, extreme reaction.
2: It's like, why would you have an axe in your house? Very symbolic, right?
1: And what kind of relationship do you have with other humans and your family where you could do something like that almost in front of your own grandchildren?
0: Animalistic? Barbaric?
2: Can you imagine like what kind of a rage he must have been in to just like pick up an axe? Or was it premeditated? You don't know. Like do normal houses have axes? I don't know. Or like did he have to plan to pick it up or was he thinking about it all along? We never know.
0: Now Punjab Police Deputy Superintendent Syed Saklan Jafar confirmed that the axe was recovered and Mukhtar Ahmad was charged with murder. Along with Mukhtar, Tasneem's husband, Ayub Ahmad, mother-in-law Fatima Bibi, and Mukhtar's son-in-laws Furkan and Shahzad were also charged in the murder. Although, Ayub was still in Bahrain at that time, and I couldn't find any more information about progress in the case, especially about her husband Ayub, if he was ever extradited back to Pakistan or not. And even when you search for this case, you will be hard-pressed to find a picture of him. You only see pictures of Sajida and her children, which is so odd. Even in the Sita Corp case, I googled and googled and googled and googled and I couldn't find a single picture of the husband or her family.
1: I understand that the whole family is sort of responsible probably in some way or another but it seems like a stretch to include the sons-in-law and no
2: so basically i think this would come under uh, domestic violence laws so like uh, in india also you if if pakistan has similar laws you end up basically taking the whole family or the whole people everybody who lives in the vicinity or like the uh, husband's family into custody Like, they're all charged. Even though one person commits the crime.
1: Because they were accessories to the situation or something?
2: Accessories or, like, they all colluded. Just because he's in a different continent does not mean that, you know, he couldn't talk to them on the phone or something.
1: Right, okay. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. It's just not something I've heard of before. Cool in the sense that, like... Yeah, acknowledging that one person losing their shit could have been fed by a lot of little, you know, birds in their ear, for example.
2: Criminal law by no one, but yeah.
0: Founder of Domestic Abuse Support Service in Australia, the Bengal Foundation, Yasmin Khan, said that Tasneem had suffered years of domestic abuse at the hands of her in-laws before the murder. She was allegedly subjected to daily beatings and told to forget Australia. It's not that it just happened all in one day and he just killed her. Okay. She was beat daily. She couldn't talk about it publicly. She may have confided in her closest friends about it.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: But again, that low kya game mentality, which is don't talk about it publicly. What will people say? Don't bring dishonor onto our family. Because your beating is causing the dishonor. You, the victim, is causing the dishonor. Not the one doing the beating.
2: Why does she have to forget Australia? She literally worked her ass off to get where she was. And it was all her hard work.
0: I feel like it was like, how dare you have any accomplishments? I have a question
1: about this, actually. Would it be sort of like the family felt emasculated if their son is emasculated it's sort of like something that the the like shame of the emasculation of the son is felt by the family perceived yeah
2: yeah if you okay. remember in the last episode her, Sita not doing what her husband asked sort of put shame on his entire family and even in this case it's okay. sort of like yeah. um You know, Sajida not wanting to leave Australia or like not wanting to move back or stay back in Pakistan is seen as sort of like bringing down her husband's family's honor because she's not listening to her husband Mm -hmm. or her in-laws.
1: And I feel like this is not even remotely just a South Asian or an Indian or a Desi thing like all patriarchal like cultures probably have had or do have... Or have had instances of this sort of thing, but it's just like, it's so stupid.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Now, Sajida's friends in Pakistan and Australia were absolutely devastated on hearing about her death. I'm gonna quote some of her friends. One said, Words aren't enough to describe Tasneem, but she was a beautiful soul, well educated with a positive and humble personality. A cheerful lady and a wonderful mother, raising her kids, providing them with the best. She was so loving and caring, and close-knit to the community. Tasneem's children were taken in by her father, and the Australian government are in touch with them to try and figure out an appropriate plan for the future. However, Australian embassy has no authority to intervene in local judicial matters, conduct local investigations and they cannot influence the murder case in any way. So the fate of this case lies entirely in the hands of Punjab police and the judicial system in Pakistan.
2: Yeah, and just like we were talking last week, at least these guys have started working. I mean, I know it's fairly new, unlike in Sita's case where I think, three, four months into their investigation, they said, yeah, nothing happened. These guys at least went ahead and charged the family.
0: I think only because there was a witness. Exactly. Only because her father was right there and he saw it happen is the only reason that he was charged. I I found a video on Facebook of a local crime reporter in Pakistan who was talking about this case and he, he was very upset that no one in Pakistan was reporting about this case. Mm-hmm. All the news reports and media articles were coming from Australia.
2: Australia.
0: Yeah. But in Pakistan, there was almost like a media silence on the case. And they said that local um, connections that probably the family had were trying to suppress the story, diminish it, so that it's it's out of public view and possibly the perpetrator could escape with a lower sentence or just get bail and get out. Not unheard of. Could happen. Maybe he knows someone in the courts, in the police. You never know, right? Even now, when I looked, no updates since June. So we have no again, idea. Again, again, these lies. are cases
2: that just when they happen for like a day or two or like even a month, they're just everywhere. I mean, clearly, like even in Pakistan, it wasn't there. But Australia at least recognized that their citizen had been murdered or like they somebody who's living there. And then they just suddenly fade into internet anonymity. Nobody talks about it.
0: And since it's only six months old, I still have hope that things are progressing and this will go to court and the killer and whoever else was involved in this case will be sentenced appropriately. I I, I still have hope. According to recent data cited by vice.com, Violence against women in Pakistan has substantially increased in the past year, with 27,000 cases being reported across its capital city, Islamabad. 94% of the cases were reported from the Punjab province where Tasneem was killed. And these are only the cases that were officially reported. Reported. And knowing the nature of Mm. South Asian society, we know if 27,000 were reported, there are probably five times more that were not yeah yeah and as we remember alex as we covered in our killer curry episode all of those women who did end up killing their spouses or husbands seem to be backed up against a wall because they were experiencing abuse and felt like they had no other way to go but to kill yeah yeah and this makes it almost clear why
1: right (laughs) yeah, <laughs> because, like, a freaking axe murderer will just kill you in front of your dad. And yeah. your kids. It's kill or be killed, really. Um, Is there possibly, like, a silver lining to this dark cloud that maybe, like, the number of reported cases are going up because more people are reporting? Or is that just wishful thinking?
2: It's, again, a very slippery, like I said, it's a very slippery slope because, you cannot assume. It's it's almost like a Schrodinger's cat situation where like it can be either or. So like once you actually figure out which one it is, yeah, you usually end up being disappointed because even during the, I think, pandemic across the subcontinent saw like a multifold increase in domestic violence without reporting.
1: Even in France, it like went up a lot just because people were stuck
2: So you never know. I mean, it could be like a statistical thing, but could also not be that.
0: Almost prophetically, in one of her last posts on social media, Tasneem wrote, Why is it that a woman is killed every time in the name of honor? It's almost like she knew what was coming. Jeez. She knew what she was experiencing, could not have. A happy ending, she knew. Tributes for the slain mother of three on social media can be found under the hashtag Justice for Sajidat Tasneem. I encourage everyone to post, share the story and put her case back in the limelight. Make sure it isn't forgotten and make sure that the quest for justice doesn't lose its momentum till we see a sentencing. And that was our case for today. So I'd just like to get your final thoughts about this case and the kind of case it is and anything related to it. We don't know exactly where the children are right now. They could be in Pakistan with their um, maternal grandparents. But if they were to be repatriated to Australia, I I don't know if they have family there. They might go back, go into a foster system, which isn't, the best outcome, the other option would be that somehow they're they're put in the custody of the husband. They couldn't go to the grandparents,
1: could they? The other grandparents, the non-murderous ones.
2: Actually, in this case, it might because her husband was also charged. So unlike in Sita's case where they said we couldn't give you the custody of the three children to take back to the UK... Even though they're citizens, because uh, technically there has been there no criminal charges against the father's family. But in this case, there are. So it could be possible that maybe the but even then they'll be in Pakistan. So
0: where are they going to live if they have to live in Pakistan? This is going to be a hard change for them. Right. The kids were 12, 6 and 3, I believe. What's going to happen to them? I just, I just, my heart goes out to them.
1: I guess the whole story and like to answer your wrap up question mm-hmm. takes me back to this notion of what was it that you said? The motherland is like something that you... A love-hate you, hate relationship. The love-hate relationship you, what was it exactly?
0: You love it for what she gave you and you hate it for what you have you've, to done hate, to yeah, her. you've done to exactly. her. Yeah, you've done to her. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess the motherland has a love-hate
1: relationship with you too. Wants you back, (laughs) then it won't let you leave
2: again. (laughs) Sneha, Uh, again, it's just really sad how families across the subcontinent think that their honor rests on the women like, or the choices that she makes, whether it's marrying away from the caste, living, choosing to live a certain way, living in a place, or just simply being accomplished. And they find a fault, and they attribute it to her. They say, it's it's, it's like, almost like in some cases where, I don't know if you've heard, where a woman gets raped, they say that, it's her fault and she's brought shame to the family. Like a family's honor should not rest in a woman's vagina or a woman's choices. As long as that mindset is not changed, we will see Sitas, we will see Tasneems. And it's, it's they could be anywhere. They could be in the most richest of families. They could be living in the most poorest Indian villages. It has to start as they say at the grassroots level where you are teaching girls that you know you should know your own worth and nobody has to tell you or like your worth is in what you do and not in what like your husband does or your family does you are your own person and you know small things like teaching a woman to be alone to be alone is not being lonely those kind of things like a majority of Indian women. Do not know how to be alone, hmm. or like they have no identity of their own apart from their family. So yeah, yeah. I think teaching them that, like teaching girls that, she, and also making sure every woman is independent, earns her money, has like her own safety fund, should um definitely be there. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure in this case she had her own savings and getaway plan. When I mean, even then. He took hold of her passport. So I think the change has to come from our families from a very young age.
0: I just hope that these horrible practices and expectations and traditions or whatever the hell you want to call it, die with these old kooks who still believe in it. I don't want to see it in the newer, younger generation. I just... I hope it dies with the ones that Mm. believe in it right now. So, yeah, that was a tough case. I debated with myself for a little bit if I should add a Bollywood corner or not. Typically, I don't. Add Bollywood corner for serious cases, especially recent cases. But I felt like, like movies can reflect back the shadows of our darkest traits. And so I thought, that i'll recommend two movies that show us different instances of domestic abuse suffered by urban south asian women both of these movies are on netflix so easy access for everyone the first movie i'll recommend is called tappar which means the slap the main character is a woman played by Tapsi panu her husband slaps her in the middle of a party out of misplaced anger towards his boss, which is so annoying. Like he's pissed off at his boss, but he slaps his wife.
2: I've seen this movie. It's very, it's just, yeah, it comes out of nowhere, actually.
0: And so she finds herself questioning her loss of identity and thinks over all the disrespect that she has endured over the years. And she files for divorce over this slap. The veiled, subtle misogyny in modern, educated, upper-class urban India is depicted very well in this movie. Yeah. And that's why it's it's in my recommendation for Bollywood Corner. Go watch it. It's called Thappar. Um The second movie that I want to recommend is called Darlings. Now, this is a stark contrast to the previous movie. Darlings explores the domestic violence experience in middle-class India. Now things are very different in this one. The main character, Badrunisa, played by Alia Bhatt, is a young girl who falls in love and gets married to her alcoholic sweetheart. And after a brief honeymoon period, he begins to show his true colors in progressively violent ways things just keep getting worse till Badrunisa reaches her breaking point and she decides to break him. Now this is actually made in the style of a dark comedy and it is a good movie to watch. Is it kind of like a revenge fantasy in the end or? Even in the end it's the character is so complicated which is amazing. Badrunisa's character is written well. She's not just that one-dimensional female love interest she is a complicated person who is kind of wrangling with her own emotions regarding this she loves him right there are still parts of him that she loves and so she's very tormented in what she wants to do with him i want to take revenge but i still love him yeah like i want to do this but i don't want to fall to his level i don't want to stoop to his level so it's not as straight cut as you would expect in a revenge fantasy it is not it is not
2: I'm sort of reminded of another movie when you talk about these two. You must have heard of Provoked.
0: Oh, yes, the old uh, Ashwarya Rai movie.
2: The Ashwarya Rai movie, it's set in the UK. He's an abusive husband. He comes home drunk. He abuses her, so he beats her, he rapes her. And then, you know, she murders him in a fit of rage. And then they basically built the whole battered uh, woman defense in the UK because of this case where they said if you are provoked to such an extent where your only choice is to like kill them or make them into a curry. <laughs> so that's another really good watch. Yes. And I think Ashwarai Rai was really good. Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought of Thank
0: that. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's actually a really good recommendation. And it should have been maybe part of <laughs> our killer curry episode. But yeah, it does show that it it's not always... The same response that comes from a woman. Sometimes it's taking years of abuse. Sometimes it's snapping in that moment. Sometimes it's taking the slow route. In the end, I mean, it's sad that she has to resort to all these different um, options instead of just being able to go to a cop or go to the authorities and say, hey, I'm, I'm suffering. Take, you know, help me take care of this.
2: Again, in all the three movies, the common plot point is that uh, let me try and hide it from the society as much as possible. But of course, in Thappad, it didn't take her that long. Like she realized, yeah, f*** this, I'm, I'm, I'm done.
0: So go watch. Let us know if you have any other movies in, on these topics that we should watch. Come comment on our Instagram. Um, and with that, I think we're all set for this episode. Thank you so much, Sneha, for joining us in telling this story.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time, as always.
0: Yes, yes. This has been an amazing collab and we hope to do many more in the future. Yes, please. Kuni and Crimes from India are now like entwined. Um, Alex, you want to tell people to do all the stuff? Oh, yeah. Sure. And and thanks
1: again, Sneha. It was really cool to go on the journey with you, as always. I feel like I have two sources of knowledge teaching me, and I'm just like a little baby learning everything.
2: <laughs> Soaking it all up.
1: Yeah, exactly. For better or worse. Um, but yeah, check out our... Website or Instagram or socials at Crimes from the East. All of the things. Um, support us. Rate, review, like.
0: What are the other things they're supposed to do, Pia? Um, I think rating and reviewing is like the top oh. request <laughs> I can think of. Make sure
1: you check out uh Cooney oh. as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're about to. We're
0: about to. Are we gonna make it? I think we can. Call's about to end. Google is threatening to end our call. So we're like, we're on a clock. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I hope you had a great holiday season. And you will probably hear this in the new year. So I hope you have a great new year. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New Year. Year. (laughs) Join us again for another episode in a few weeks. In Crimes from the East, your Desi true crime podcast with a little masala and spice Spice. Namaste. Namaste
1: Namaste